The following message is brought to you by New Song Church and Pastor Joshua Blunt in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma. For more information on New Song, visit us online at newsongpeople.com. New Song Church, how's everybody doing? Good to see you this morning. My name is Josh. If you're new to the church, I'm the pastor here at New Song Church. Before I get started today, I want to thank a special group of people today, and that is our parking lot crew. How many? Yeah, how many of you appreciate those guys standing out in the 20 degree weather, smiling and waving you in? Those guys are so awesome. So thank you, parking lot crew. If you're on that team and you're in here. Thank you guys for all that you do. We love it. We, ex- we feel it. You know, I don't know about you, but I, when I pull into the parking lot, I, I, I begin even in that moment to start to feel the presence of God. And uh, they, they make a way. You know, they're not just out there holding those signs. They're praying over the people. They're learning your names. Uh, those guys are awesome. So we're so grateful for them and for everybody who serves on our serving teams. Thank you so much. You make this possible. Set up and tear down all of you guys that come here, get here early. People have been here since 6 a.m. this morning working, getting this church ready for you, getting your coffee ready. I see some of you taking drinks right now. I mean, you appreciate there's people making your coffee for you this morning. We're grateful for that. So thank you, all of our people who serve. Hey, also, uh, if you would, they talked about it a little bit, but if you would, there's a, you should have got this little flyer when you came in this morning. It's for our new song, Equip Classes, that are coming up. Man, I'm really, really excited about these. When we, when we first started having a vision for the church, uh, we knew that we wanted to have a church where we were taking people on a spiritual journey and we were helping them to develop into who God had called them to be. And these equipping classes, they really, they go in line with what the Bible says in Hebrews 4, 12, and 13, where it talks about equipping the saints for the work of, of the gospel, for building up the body. And, and that's really what this is about. You know, on Sundays, we can't cover everything. We, we try as much as we can throughout a year to get to as many subjects and, and stuff as we can. But there's some things that, that you need some more study on, and you need some more help with, and you need to be equipped in. And really, that's, that's a lot of what these classes are all about. They're about helping you to continue. It's, it's, that, it's that value that we have of developing disciples. It's helping you to develop, to be the disciple God's called you to be. And, and so these classes are going to take you a little bit deeper in some things and even get specific with some areas that maybe you, you want to grow in and you want to develop in. We've got classes this semester uh, on, on foundation, score, the core spiritual truths and application, freedom classes to learn how to, how to get free and what God says about your freedom, uh, faith-based parenting about how to parent your children according to what the Word of God has to say, and building a godly marriage. And, and so we're going to be launching those in February. If you want more information, you can go to newsongpeople.com slash equip. We've got child care available for you, so we've got babysitters for you, and we'll come together each week. I think it's on a Thursday night, right? Tuesday night. Tuesday night, uh, we'll have some corporate worship with our worship team, and then we'll break into these classes and talk about these specific subjects. So if you're wanting to continue to develop as a disciple, which you should be, if you're wanting to be equipped for raising your kids and for experiencing all that God has for you and building your godly marriage, if there's an area of your life where you feel like you, you, there's more to, to learn for you, and there should be, by the way, then I want to encourage you to go and to sign up and to register and ask the Lord, what class should I take? And just so you know, if you sign up for one and you're like, oh, I'm I'm stuck between these two, these are going to be ongoing. So we're going to have semesters of these that keep happening. So if you don't catch it this time, you'll catch it the next time around. But I want to encourage you to make sure you do that. And then one last thing, um, we want to hear your testimonies. Over the last 21 days, man, we've been hearing all sorts of 
things that God is doing within the church as people are fasting and pursuing God and seeking God. I'm I'm hearing all sorts of rumblings, little texts here and there and things that that God is doing in people's lives. And and I want to to invite you to share those with us. In fact, we've created on our uh, 21-day devotional page, we've actually created a little section on there called Testimonies where you can submit a testimony. And you can do this on the app, you can do this on the website, but you can, you can submit a testimony of what God has done for you. And, and here's what I want to I challenge you with this. If God has done anything for you during this 21 days of prayer and fasting, I want you to share it. Because you, you never know, what we want to do is we want to we pull these together so we can share them. Because what God has done, the breakthrough that he's brought to your life, we want to share it with the church. So your breakthrough, your personal breakthrough, could be something that builds the faith for somebody else to experience the breakthrough that God has for them. But they're not going to know it unless you share it. And so I'm not asking you to tell your whole story. In fact, don't tell your whole story, okay? We don't want a five-page report on everything since, well, it began in, in, in Hebrews. And <laughs> we don't need that. We just need, like, like for example, uh, I, I was believing God for a financial breakthrough, and I got a raise at my job, and, and it, was, it happened during the 21 days. Or, or I'm closer to God than I've ever been before. Or, or I, I, I've been fear-free for 21 days. Or I haven't looked at pornography for 21 days. Like, that's, that's all we want. But I'm, I want to challenge every one of you this week to take a moment, take five minutes, and just share a testimony with us. And, and we're going to share some of these at our worship night coming up next weekend, which, by the way, you don't want to miss this. Let me just say that childcare is almost full. I think the only spots we have available now are twos and threes. So if you haven't registered yet, you better hurry up and get your two and three-year-old registered. But, but also, if you haven't registered your other kids, get a babysitter. Make sure you get here. Do whatever you can to be here because I believe it's going to be a powerful, powerful night uh, of worship together. All right? All right. If you have your Bible, go to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, and I want to I share with you something, and I want to set this up with this story. I was really this, I, w- I was reading in 1 Kings 19 here, and I came across this, this verse I'm going to show in a minute, and it's really the basis for what this whole message was inspired by. So let me, let me set this up for you, because the setup, the, the context of what is happening here is very important. Uh, this is a story about Elijah. Elijah, if you don't know, was a prophet of God, and he was an incredible man of God. In fact, in 1 Kings chapter 18, there's a story where uh, Elijah has this kind of duel with these guys called the prophets of Baal. You may have heard this story. It's on Mount Carmel. And, and he challenges them to kind of see whose God is you know, the true God. And so these 850 prophets of Baal build an altar, and they begin to cry out to their God, Baal, and it goes as far as they're worshiping and they're cutting themselves and they're doing all this stuff and, and nothing happens. And in fact, as this is going on, Elijah, there's like a point when he makes this little joke, like maybe your God's going to the bathroom right now or something, you know, he's just totally mocking them. Then he has them take his altar and they pour water all over it and water is, I mean, they cover it to the point that there's tr- a trench of water around it. And then he calls on God and God immediately uh, consumes his altar, the rocks, the fire, everything is completely consumed. It's an incredible act of God. And after this happens, uh, the people are so amazed that they take these prophets captive. And then the Bible says that Elijah killed them all. 850 prophets of Baal, he kills them all. And you're going to see in a second, he kills them all with a sword. So that's Elijah, right? He's a man of God, but he's a man of 
the sword as well here. So he's, but, but, but that's not the end of Elijah's story. In fact, there's, a, there's another story where Elijah prays that it won't rain for three and a half years. And guess what? It doesn't rain for three and a half years. There's another story where, where Elijah uh, outruns a chariot, a horse and chariot for 20 miles. That's Elijah. Like he's, a, he's, a, he's an incredible like beast of a man of God. In fact, at the end of his life, he doesn't even die. He, he's, he just ascends into heaven like in an elevator. That's Elijah. He's a beast. In fact, it's, I love this too. The Bible actually goes out of its way to say that he was a hairy man. So he was like, Elijah to me is like the Chuck Norris of the Bible, right? There's all these things like, oh, he did this. Oh, wow, yeah. So, okay, with that in mind, keep that in mind as I read these, these next verses to you. Okay, this is right after what happened at 1 Kings 18, which is the prophets of Baal thing. That just happens. Verse 1, 1 Kings 19. And Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done, also how he had executed the prophets with the sword. So the king tells his wife what happens. Here's what she says. Then Jezebel sent a messenger. If you have a physical Bible with you, highlight that, circle that. Sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so let the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time. In other words, she says, uh, Elijah, what you did to the prophets of Baal, I'm going to do to you. I'm going to kill you. Okay, so remember Elijah. He's a bad dude, right? Look at what it says next. Verse 3. And when he saw that. Everybody say, saw that. When he saw that, he arose and ran for his life. And went to Beersheba. Verse 4. He himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. And came and sat down under a broom tree and prayed that. Check this out. Look at what he prays. He prayed that he might die. And said, it is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Now, that's not exactly what you would expect out of this guy who just, I mean, the, the chapter before this, which, in, in, you know, sometimes the Bible and cha- chapters can be a great distance, but this is not the case. He just, that prophet's a bell thing just happened. An incredible work of God just happened. And now he gets a word from the queen and it sends him running. So this, I read that verse and it said he saw that. And when I read that, that just stood out to me because I thought, well, what did he see? And I thought, well, maybe when, when she brought the message to him, the messenger brought a, a note to him and he saw the note and read the note. But actually, if you study it out, the, the messenger, when it talks about this messenger, it's the same kind of messenger that God would send. And God never sent a note to anybody. He always comes and he speaks with a voice when he would speak. So the messenger just came speaking what, what Jezebel had said. So how did he saw that? <laughs> how do you see what, what, he, what he saw? Well, well, if you study the word saw, here's what it means. It means he perceived. He had a vision and he gazed upon it. Here's what I want you to see. When the messenger brought the message, Elijah got a vision based on the message. He got a vision based on a message that he received. He perceived a vision. He gazed upon it, meaning he kept looking at it, kept thinking about it, kept coming back to it. And and, and he was filled with terror and it caused him to run 50 miles away to Beersheba. Running away from where God had him, running away from the purpose of God, the plan of God. He ran in fear because he got a vision. When he allowed, what he allowed into his mind gave him vision and it led him. Let me say it like this. What he allowed into his thought life gave direction to his life. 
Now, now here's what I want you to see this morning, church. Uh, you have an enemy in this world named the devil, and he hates you, and he wants to steal, kill, and destroy your life. The Bible is clear about that. And one of the things he wants to do is he wants to send you running. So he sends you messengers. He sends you messages in the form of, of lies and, and half-truths and confusing things. And, and what he wants to do is he wants to plant these thoughts in your mind so that you begin to think about them and gaze upon them and keep coming back to them. And because of them, you get filled with fear. And because of the fear, you run away from the plan of God, from the call of God, from the purposes of God, from what God has for you because you're thinking the wrong kind of thoughts. Today, I want to talk to you about thinking like never before. Because I believe this church, if we, can, if we can think differently, you're going to live differently. If you can think like you've never thought before in 2019, you're going to live like you've never lived before. Your thought life is extremely, extremely important. In fact, the Bible says this in Proverbs 23, verse 7. It says, as a man thinks in his heart, look at this, so is he. Another translation says it like this, as you think in your heart, so you will become. So, so here's, if you're taking notes this morning, you're following along in the app this morning, here's the first fill in the blank. How I think affects how I live. How I think affects how I live. My thoughts control my life. Proverbs 4.23 says this, be careful how you think, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Understand this this morning, you and I are moving in the direction of our thoughts. You, you cannot do anything, you cannot move in any direction unless you think about it first. You just can't do it. If you're going to move in a direction, you have to be thinking along the lines of the direction that you're going to move. Elijah, when he allowed the wrong kind of thinking into his mind, when he allowed the wrong kind of thoughts to take root in his mind, it moved his life in a direction away from the purposes of God. And so often we do the same thing, church. We allow the enemy to plant these thoughts in our mind and they grow and they produce the wrong kind of fruit and they move us in the wrong direction. How, how we think affects our lives. Now, let me break this down for you as best I can to help you understand kind of how you work and how, how, your, how your thinking works, okay? First of all, you got to understand this. There's a difference between your brain and your mind. There's a difference between your brain and your mind, okay? So this is, this is how you work. This is what the Bible tells us. You are a triune being. That you are, you are, you're, there are three parts to you. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Okay, so the spirit part of you, that's the part of you that's connected to God. That's the part of you that's made alive in Jesus Christ. And you connect to God, who God is a spirit. We connect to God spirit to spirit. That's, that's the real you. Then you have a soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Now notice your mind is in your soul. This is different than your brain, which is in your body. Okay, so what happens is your soul is, is what controls your feelings. It's where your emotions reside. It's, it's the seat of your appetites. That's your soul. And your soul controls your mind, and then your mind controls your body. Okay, you tracking with me? So, so inside of you right now, there are 37 trillion cells. Say trillion with a T. Yeah, trillion with a T. Trillion cells, okay? When you get a thought, 37 trillion cells go into, into motion. They, they start moving. They start doing something. They, they move into action. And so what happens is the, the thoughts that you allow into your brain 
train your brain. And how you train your brain affects how you live your life. You guys following me this morning? Let, let me try to make this a little bit more simple for you. Okay, I got a picture here. This is, a, this is your brain, all right? That's a brain. Okay, you remember, like, remember in the 80s? You may remember those, those commercials. You had the frying pan and they'd say, this is your brain. And then they'd drop an egg in it and then they'd fry it. This is your brain on drugs. Any questions? And like seven-year-old Josh was going, dude, I am never doing drugs. Can we get back to ducktails now, right? But that, this is actually your brain. This is not an egg, okay? That's your brain. Those darker areas, those are called neurons, all right? And so what happens is a, a neuron is a thought. It's a thought that gets planted in your brain. And when you get a thought, if it's a new thought, a, a, a neuron is, is formed in your brain. And if it's an existing thought, then you add to it. Kind of like, see how those little branches are kind of branching off? In fact, look at, look at this next slide, guys. Go ahead and put that up there. You see, kinda, it looks kind of like a tree. Like there's a tree there and there's, there's this. And, and the idea is this. When you get a, a thought in your mind, it's literally occupying space. And, and there's a tree, a forest of thoughts that you're creating with what you're thinking. And thoughts that you keep coming back to and back to and back to are literally growing like a forest of trees within your mind. I, I think sometimes we think of, of like our thought life as being this kind of abstract thing that exists in some other dimension, you know, it's just kind of like, doesn't really exist, it's kind of an imaginary deal, but, but it, it's not true. Your, your thoughts literally occupy space within your brain, like that's fascinating to me. And so the idea is what you keep thinking of, what you keep coming back to is building your brain. And, and so what happens is if you fill up your mind with the wrong kind of thoughts, it's going to affect you because what's going on in your brain affects every aspect of your life. It affects your health. In fact, this is fascinating. 75, uh, doctors and scientists believe today that 75 to 98% of mental, physical, emotional, and behavioral illnesses today come from wrong thinking. Now, it's funny because we live in a world where we're real cautious with like, you know, germs, right? Like we want to, we go in a weird bathroom and we were going to get out and we're going to take a bath and hand sanitizer. You get on a plane and we, I remember we used to get on planes with our, when Gus was a little baby, we took him on a flight one time. And I remember before we sat down, Sarah had this thing of like these wet wipes that kill 99.9% of bacteria and we had to wipe down everything and him and us and everybody walked by, we were wiping them down. And we teach our kids to cough and sneeze into their, you know, because we're, we're, we're aware there's, there's germs and there's things out there that can make us sick, that can affect our body. What we don't realize is there's, there's thoughts that we allow into our mind that are, that are a virus, that are germs that are infecting our, our mind. And listen, it's affecting our body. It's affecting us, not just on a mental level, but literally on a physical level. Like, this isn't figurative. This is literally taking place in our minds right now. Now, what's awesome to me as I was looking at this this week is, like, science and, and, and medicine is learning all this now. God's known it all along, right? Because he created us. He knew how he made us. And that's why the Bible says stuff like this. Proverbs 4.23, your life is shaped by your thoughts because God knows you're growing a tree of thoughts in your mind. And so he wants to help you with this. So, so we, we understand how I think affects how I live. So that being the case, we need to, here's the second little blank there, guard our minds. We gotta put a guard on our mind. We gotta watch it. We gotta do what the first part of Proverbs 4.23 says, which it says, be careful how you think. 
Or another translation says, carefully guard your thoughts. So how do we do that? Well, in in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gives us uh, a, a strategy for how we can guard ourselves against the enemy who's coming to attack us. And he talks about what we call the armor of God. And he says this in verse 10, he says, we need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So we're, it all, we're leaning into God, we're counting on him, but then he says we're to take up this armor. Now understand, anytime the Bible says to put on or to take on or to take up or to clothe ourselves, anytime it says that, it means it's not automatic. Just because you're a Christian, just because you made Jesus the Lord of your life does not mean you are covered in the armor of God. You gotta put it on. And so God tells us, he gives us his list of all these pieces of armor that we need to put on. And then the last two that are listed in verse 17, it says this. It says, take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. With sword of the spirit, what is it? It tells us it's the word of God. Okay, so there's all these different things listed that protect us in this spiritual battle. But one thing listed in, in, in this armor is both an offensive weapon against the enemy, but it's also a defensive weapon against the enemy. And that is the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And notice that the sword of the spirit is listed right alongside the helmet of salvation, which tells us that these two work congruent with each other to help our minds. What, what does a helmet do? It protects your brain. This year, my, my son started football, and it was funny because we've got three generations of football players in my family now. My, my dad, who lives here in town, would come to his football practices a lot, and I remember we were talking one day, because when we went, Sarah was kind of nervous about Gus playing football until we went to buy his pads, and when she saw like what pads are made of today, she was no longer afraid. Because, I mean, helmets and stuff today are incredible. My dad, when he, was, when he was playing, his helmet had a net in it. And it had like a bar here and a bar here. That was his helmet. My helmet had foam in it. Anybody play in the, in the 90s like me? I had a foam helmet. Nobody played football. Okay, cool. I thought we were in Oklahoma. I don't know why. Okay. Maybe I just went to a, played for a poor team. I don't know. But my helmet had foam in it. My, Gus's helmet has these pads and all sorts of, I mean, but, the, but the, why do they do this now? Because they understand you got to protect the head. Why? Not just because it's pretty, but because the brain is in the head. And, and if the brain gets infected or affected, it affects everything. So, so the helmet of salvation, the sword of the spirit are listed right beside each other here. And what's unique about the sword of the spirit is it's, it's both an offensive weapon and it's the only offensive weapon listed in the armor of God, but it's also a defensive weapon. And, and not a lot of people talk about this side of it. But, you know, if you're in a battle and I'm in a sword fight with somebody, I don't just want a shield and a bunch of armor to protect me. I, it's also nice to have a sword to protect me and also to be able to counter with. And that's part of what the sword is designed to do. So let's talk about the sword of the spirit as a offensive and defensive weapon to help us to guard our thinking. First of all, let's talk about it as a defensive weapon. How does the sword of the spirit, the word of God, become a defensive weapon to help us to guard our minds? Here's, here's what we gotta do. You gotta read and study the word. When you read and study the word, it becomes a defensive weapon that helps you to protect yourself against the wrong kind of thinking. Now, in Ezekiel chapter 32, the Bible tells us that the devil has a sword. Ezekiel 32 verse 11 
says this. It says, the sword of the king of Babylon shall come upon thee. Now, it talks about the king of Babylon. It's not just talking about the literal king of Babylon. It's actually a, a picture of, of Satan and how he attacks. In fact, that, that word king of Babylon uh, means he's the king of confusion. He's the Molech Babel is what king of Babylon means. He's the king of confusion. And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to come at you with the sword of confusion. This is one of the great tactics he uses against you to confuse you in life, to keep you confused. Because you're in a battle. Now, how many of you know if you're in a battle, you don't want to be confused? Because if you're confused, you could fall into a trap. You could go in the wrong direction. You could find yourself uh, alone and by yourself. So, so that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to confuse you, to, to send you into a trap, to, to set you alone, to get you messed up. And so he comes at you to try to confuse you. He wants to confuse you about who you are, your identity, your identity in Christ. He wants to confuse you about who God is, what God's purposes are for your life. He wants to confuse you with counterfeits. He wants to put false versions of of godly things out there, confuse you about sex, confuse you about money. He wants to confuse you. He wants to confuse you uh, about your purpose, about the call of God on your life. He wants to confuse you so so that you get so confused about God that you, you begin to resent God, even get angry at God, and turn away from God. The devil is the author of confusion. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. That means the devil is. So he's the author of confusion. He's the king of confusion. He has a weapon of confusion that he comes at you with. And the purpose of the sword of the spirit as a defensive weapon is to help you deal with the confusion that can be caused by the lies of the enemy. So how does this work? Look at this with me. Hebrews 4 Verse 12 talks about the, sword, the, the word of God. It likens it again to a sword. Look at this with me. For the sword of God is, or for the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Everybody say sword. Piercing even, the, to, even to the division of the soul and spirit and to joints and marrow and is a discerner, remember that word, discerner of the thoughts. We're talking about our thoughts and intents of the heart. Now that word heart there is not your heart. It's talking about your soul. It's talking about your mind. It's, your, it's the seat of your appetites. It's your will, your emotions, that part of you. So, so the sword of the spirit is a discerner. Actually what discerner means, it means it's a judge. That word literally means judge. So here's what the sword of the spirit, the word of God allows you to do. It helps you to judge the thoughts that are coming against your mind. Helps you to judge them, to look at them and judge them based on what the word of God has to say. This goes in line with what uh, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5 says. It says we're to cast down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. How do you get knowledge of God? You get it from the word of God. You get it from relationship with God. We're about helping people know God here at New Song Church, right? You know through relationship. You know through relationship with the word of God. You know through communication. You know when you spend time with the Lord, you come to know him, and now you can cast down these arguments. Look what it says, bringing every thought into captivity and to the obedience of Christ. So the idea here is that you're going to have some thoughts that come against you, and they're coming from the enemy, that argue with what God's word has to say. And when they do, you are to take them captive and make them come under the obedience of Jesus Christ. Now, here's what's interesting. That word captivity means to take at the point of a weapon. Yes. You guys tracking with me? We're talking about the sword of the spirit being a, being a weapon the word of God, you're to take it at the point of a weapon. And look at this, you're to make it a prisoner of war. You're to capture it. It's a very aggressive word that, that God's saying. That In other words, you're to aggressively go after 
thoughts that are coming against your mind. You're to intentionally go after these thoughts with the point of the word of God and you're to bring them to obedience. Obedience means to listen under. Okay, so I'm a, I'm, a visionary, I'm a visionary thinker. So when I got this this week, here's what I saw. I saw a thought coming in like a piece of paper. The devil sends a thought your way. And you, and, and you get that piece of paper and here's what you do. You take the sword of the spirit, the word of God, and you pin it to your heart. And you, where that sword of the spirit stuck right here, here's the word. It, it listens under what the word of God has to say. And if it lines up with what God's word has to say, it can stay. But if it doesn't, it has to go. We're to scrutinize the words that are coming into our mouth, or the thoughts that are coming into our mind based on the sword of the spirit, the word of God. And we're forcing them to listen under what God's word has to say. And if God's word says they can stay, they can stay. But if God's word says no, they gotta go. You guys tracking with me? This is how we use the word of God as a defensive weapon to defend ourselves against the lies and the, and, and the tactics of the enemy. But how do you do that? You've got to read and study the word. Because listen, if I don't know what the word of God says, I can't judge based on it. If, if I don't know the character of God, I can't make judgments based on the word, thoughts that are coming into my mind if I don't know the character of God, if I don't know who God is. I only can do that when I have a relationship. I know God and I know the truth that's found in his word. When I understand the truth of God, I can see the lies of the enemy. You know, this is an important question that you need to ask yourself on a regular basis. You ready for this? Two words. Who said? Who said? You need to live your life. When you get thoughts in your mind that are bothering you, that are weighing heavy on you, you need to ask yourself, who said? Because there's a lot of words that you get that you receive thoughts that you get in your in your mind God didn't say let me let me throw some at you here's some who saids for you this morning none of these God said who said you can never get out of debt who said you're not smart enough who said you're stupid who said you'll never amount to anything who said you could never get a better job who said you'll never make more money than you are who said you're going to end up divorced who said that you're fat and you can't lose weight who said that you're too ugly and no one will ever love you? Who said that you're a loser? Who said that you're too old? Who said that you're never going to get free from drugs? Who said that you're never going to get free from pornography? Who said? Who said you can't, you're, you're going to die young? Who said you can't have normal sexual desires? Who said that God can't forgive that? Who said? It's a good question, isn't it? And here's what you got to come to. You got to understand who said, and then based on that, here's what you got to, you got to, you got to, you got to say. And I want you to say this with me here in just a minute. If God didn't say it, I don't believe it. That's what it comes down to. In fact, I want you to say that with me. Repeat after me. If God didn't say it, I don't believe it. Say it again like you mean it. If God didn't say it, I don't believe it. I don't care who said it. If God didn't say it, I don't believe it because God's word is truth and everything else is a lie. It's a lie. If God didn't say it, I don't believe it. And it's so important that you get this church because every thought that you don't take captive has the potential of taking you captive. 
Every thought that you don't scrutinize by the word of God, that you don't force to listen under the word of God, has the potential to create in your mind a forest of trees, a stronghold that can cause you to miss out on the plans and purposes of God. We have got to use the word of God as a defensive weapons. We've got to guard our mind by reading and studying the word of God. When you know what the word of God says, you can recognize what God's saying versus what the enemy says, and you can protect your mind. But how many of you know, here's the thing, how many of you know that just because you recognize the lie doesn't mean that you're free from it coming against you? Like, we don't just want to know that it's a lie, we want to make it go away. We want to send it packing in the other direction, so how do we do that? Well, that's where the offensive side of the sword of the spirit, the word of God, comes into play. How does the word of God become an offensive weapon in your life against your thought life, against the thoughts that are coming to your mind. Here's how you do it. You gotta speak the word. Speak the word. When you speak the word, it becomes an offensive weapon against your enemy, against the enemy of your thought life. Look back at Ephesians 6, 17. It says that we're to take the sword of the spirit, it's talking about the word of God, which is the word of God. Now that word there, I, I, I bold it, that word, word there, is the Greek word rhema which means it's the spoken word of God uttered by a voice. So you could literally translate that verse this way. We're to take up the sword of the spirit, which is the spoken word of God uttered by our voice. You gotta speak the word of God. There's power that's released when you speak the word of God. You remember when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted for 40 days? The enemy comes against him with temptations. What's a temptation? It's a, it's a, it's a mind battle. It's a thought that he's putting in the mind of, of, of Jesus to try to push him in the wrong direction, to keep him from the plans and purposes that God has for his life. How does Jesus counteract every, every effort that Satan brings against him? What does he do? He speaks. But he doesn't just speak. He quotes scripture. He speaks the word of God. He says, it is written, it is written, it is written. He uses the word of God as an offensive weapon to run the devil off in his life. And listen, if it was good enough for our savior, it's got to be good enough for us. You got to get the word of God in your mouth. The word of God works as a weapon in our life when it's spoken. The word of God works as a weapon, an offensive weapon in your life when it's spoken. Now go back to Hebrews 4.12. We read this earlier, but I want to show you another part of this. We talked about how the word of God, the Bible, is living and powerful. The Bible's not just any other book. It's not just a history book. It's not, no, no. It's a living, powerful book. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. Now that, that those, those words, two-edged sword, I've talked about this before, but for those of you who are new, two-edged sword means actually this. The Greek for that is it's a two-mouthed sword. So the first mouth or the first blade of that sword is the mouth of God who spoke it. God spoke the word of God into existence. He's the one that inspired the word of God. He spoke it into existence. So his, his word is the first mouth of that sword. The second mouth is your mouth when you speak it. When you speak the word of God, you put the second edge on the blade of the sword of the spirit. It becomes a double-edged sword or two-edged sword in your life that is a powerful weapon that can do incredible damage to the work of darkness and run the enemy out of your mind. But listen, you gotta take it up. You gotta pick it up. It doesn't work unless you pick it up. God's given us this incredible weapon 
that can work in our life, but you gotta be willing to, to use it. Can I get some keyboards up here with me this morning? I'm gonna close this sucker out. If you wanna live like never before in 2019, you gotta think like never before. And if you're gonna think like never before, you gotta get in the word like never before. And, and not just, I'm not talking about just reading the Bible. I'm talking about reading and thinking, meditating and speaking what the word of God has to say. You have the power through the word of God to literally rewire your mind. In fact, I, I, read, I read this this week. I wanna read this to you. This is some scientific, this is some secular scientific stuff that's out there about how your brain works. Check this out. It says, through neuroplasticity, we have the power to wire beliefs, habits, and mindsets into our mind. We also have the ability to wire out toxic thinking, toxic habits, and past traumas. That's amazing. You can reprogram your mind, and you can, you can wire things into your thinking, and you can, you can unwire things out of your thinking. Even past traumas, things that were done to you as a child or horrible, horrific things that have come against you in your life, you can get that stuff out of your mind. Be released from it. It says this, your non-conscious is what is running you and your outlook on life. To get ideas into your non-conscious, it takes daily repetition. Everybody say daily repetition. If you're wanting to change a thinking pattern, you cannot simply think it once or even for five days and have it stick. So in other words, it doesn't happen just a few times. You must think, focus, and act upon it every day. It was interesting. As I was reading that, I thought think is, is, is thinking about the word of God, thinking about what it has to say. Acting upon it is, is speaking it, focusing on it, meditating on it, getting inside of it. You, you're reading it. You're meditating and thinking about what the word of God has to say. You're speaking it out of your mind. You do that every day, it says, for at least two months. In fact, I, I went on to read that. It said that if you'll spend seven minutes a day with intentional thought, that in 40 days you can rewire your mind in a particular mindset. Now think about this. This is why the Bible talks so much about guarding your mind. Because I mean, it only takes seven minutes a day every day for 40 days and you can change a thought pattern. This is why we need to be careful. What are we listening to? What are we watching? What kind of relationships we're sitting under and allowing to speak into our life? We've got to guard our, our, our hearts, our minds from that stuff. But, but the idea is, is this. This is how God made you. He made this for your good. He made this so that you could, you could protect your mind. You could wire the right things in so you could live in the freedom he's called you to live in. But so often we just, we don't pick up the word like we should. We're not intentional and so we miss out on the freedom that God wants us to have mentally in our life. God wants you to have freedom. Listen, understand this. The cross of Jesus Christ was not just for your spiritual freedom. Jesus through the cross touches you in spirit, soul, and body. Every aspect of your life, the cross touches. God doesn't want to just free your spirit. He wants to to free you physically. He wants to bring healing into your life. That's why the Bible talks about it so much. But he also wants to free you mentally. Some of you have mental sickness that God wants to free you from. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I want to read you, but for, for a while... There was a season in my life where I was a, I was a very immoral person. And I, I looked at and thought about some things that caused me to have a stronghold in my mind that even when I decided to stop that, I was still struggling because I had created this forest of trees of thoughts and stuff that I had meditated on for so long. And I remember 
in the middle of that feeling like it was such a hard fight. And I remember, I remember one day walking around my neighborhood and praying and just feeling like, Lord, I'm so sorry. I wish I would have known. I wish I would have never done this to begin with. If I would have known, I would have never done it. But I, but I just felt like at that time in my life, I just felt like, I guess this is just my cross. This is what I got to bear the rest of my life. I'm going to have to fight the rest of my life, but, but I'm going to do it. I'm just going to go for it. Well, you know today that that's not gospel. That's not good news. Does that sound like good news to you? So I'm reading one day and I come across this verse. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Hebrews 9, verse 14. It's just, it says this, just think how much more the blood of Christ, the blood of Jesus, talking about the work of the cross, will purify our consciousness. That's your, that's your thoughts, that's your mind, that's your memories. That's what it's talking about. It can purify that from sinful deeds so that we can worship the living God. Listen, God wants you to be able to worship him in spirit and in truth with freedom. Not, not, not worshiping him thinking, oh man, I shouldn't have done that yesterday. That was so stupid or I shouldn't have. No, God doesn't want that. He wants freedom. He wants you to worship him with freedom. For by the power of the eternal spirit, look at this, Christ offered himself to God as a perfect sacrifice. Everybody say a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice for our sins. Listen, my church, the work of the blood of Jesus Christ is a perfect sacrifice for you. And, and, and it has the power in your life to cleanse your mind and brain from sin and erase the memories as, that it created in you. And when I began to believe that, here's what I began to believe. Okay, Lord, you, I know that you've forgiven me of my sins. I know that, you're, that you did that. And I've seen you heal people. I've seen you heal me. You healed my mother. I've seen the work of Jesus in healing. So who am I to believe that you don't want to heal my mind? So Lord, I believe that I'm going to stand on this word. I believe that the blood of Jesus is cleansing my mind from all this unrighteousness, that you're renewing my mind like your word says is possible and making my mind new, that that past is in my past. It's in the rear view. It's gone. It's no more. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to begin to study and meditate and think. And I just begin to spend every day reading what the word of God said about, about a pure heart, a pure mind and study that stuff and, and pray this. And let me just tell you, I stepped into freedom gospel. Listen, the gospel is good news. And the good news of the gospel is not that you have to live the rest of your life not wanting to do what you want to do. The good news of the gospel is God does a work in your life that's so amazing that you no longer want to do what you used to do, but now you want to do what God wants you to do. And you don't just want to do it, you love to do it. That's the work of Jesus Christ for you. You can think differently and you can live differently if you'll just begin to start going to the word of God. It's a powerful spiritual force in your life. The sacrifice of Jesus is perfect and it will touch every aspect of your life if you'll allow it to. And you'll believe it will. You begin to read it, meditate on it, think about it, speak it out of your life and it becomes a powerful two-edged sword that you can defend yourself with and that can chop down a forest of trees that you've created in your brain. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? So one of the things I do every week is I pray as I'm getting ready to preach on Sunday morning. And I say, Lord, I, here's what I have. And I've been submitting this to you all week, Lord, but you got anything else? Is there anything you want to say today? And God normally gives me something for today. And this is what he told me today. God wants to set some people free mentally. He wants to set some people free here today that are free from fear and anxiety, free from lust 
free from pain of past mistakes, free from pain of mistakes that you've done, but also mistakes that have been done against you. And so here's, here's, I said earlier, a good question is who said, here's another good question for you. What does God say? Not just who said, but what does God say? What does God say about fear and anxiety? What does God say about lust? What does God say about the pain of your past? What does God say about the hurts that have been done against you? What does God say? Church, I believe if, you're, if that's you, if you're struggling in those areas, you have pain from the past, there's, there's a mental battle going on. You need to discover what God says about that area of your life and you be, put that in front of you, read it, study it, speak it seven minutes a day for 40 days and God's gonna change your life. Lord, I thank you for our church. I thank you, Lord, that you, I thank you, first of all, for the, for the work of Jesus Christ and the blood of Jesus Christ that is a perfect sacrifice for us that touches every aspect of our life. I thank you, Lord, that you're setting people free today. I thank you that you're freeing minds in this room. A tree's thoughts, these, these, these patterns and these thoughts are being uprooted and chopped down in people's minds. Even today, Lord, a miracle is taking place. And we're choosing to, to pursue you and chase after you and chase after the promises we see in your word. And we thank you for the freedom you're going to bring to our lives in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to this week's message from New Song Church. If you have a prayer need or would like more information about New Song, you can email info at newsongpeople.com. If you would like to partner with New Song through giving, go to www.newsongpeople.com forward slash give. And if you want to stay connected to New Song, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter by searching for New Song People.